Welcome to the Lionel Shipman Ship Shape Your Finances show here on the CWR Network. I am your host, Lionel Shipman. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, I am so glad to be back on the air. Uh, some of you probably were looking for me last week for my broadcast, and I actually took some time off, and I was away on a smooth jazz cruise. Seven great days of hearing some of the best artists in the world. So I had a very great time uh, there in the Caribbean and made it back here, uh, back home. And unfortunately, the pollen uh, has kind of got me a little bit. My allergies started acting up. And so if I sound a little nasally tonight, uh, you know the reason why. But I'm glad to be back here uh, this week uh, to to continue with part two of the topic, Couples and Money. The call-in number uh, tonight is 917-889-8078. That number again is 917-889-8078. Before we move further, I want to take a moment uh, to recognize uh, Dick's Sporting Goods as the CWR Talk Network Corporate Citizen of the Month for their action in discontinuing the sale of assault rifles and high-capacity magazines in their stores and requiring purchasers of guns to be at least 21 years of age, uh, regardless of the local laws. So we want to recognize uh, them this evening. Now, if you didn't know, uh, the month of March uh, is Women's History Month. Women's History Month is designated for recognizing the accomplishment made by women throughout history. And there are so many uh, out there. I mean, it's, it's, thank you so much for your contributions to, uh, to society and making a huge spot in history. Now, if you will, uh, we're going to take a couple of minutes and listen to a women's history moment. Hi, my name is Yuhuru Williams. I'm a historian, and here's what you need to know in order to sound smart about women gaining the right to vote. From the time of the American Revolution through 1920, women fought to attain the same social, political, and economic status in the United States as men. In 1920, women in the United States won the right to vote by virtue of the passage of the 19th Amendment. But the struggle to attain that right was a long one, fraught with violence, political turmoil, and social upheaval. Many of the leaders of the women's suffragist movement actually got their start in the abolitionist movement and other social reform movements in the 1830s and the 1840s. The Civil War and Reconstruction proved to be a critical moment for women pushing for the right to vote in the United States. In the aftermath of the Civil War, Congress committed itself to ensuring the right to vote for African-American men through the passage of the 15th Amendment. The 15th Amendment stated that the right to vote could not be abridged or denied based on race, color, or previous condition of servitude. It, however, said nothing about gender. By the turn of the century, more militant and radical voices were working their way into the fight for women's rights. 
Alice Paul, for instance, pushed for the adoption of an Equal Rights Amendment. One of the ways that Paul and her supporters sought to dramatize the issues associated with women's suffrage was to stage massive parades. One that they conducted on March 3, 1913, was done so to coincide with the inauguration of President Woodrow Wilson. The women hoped that this would dramatize the denial of a basic civil right to women. Authorities often brutally suppressed female suffragists who employed such tactics. Alice Paul was once placed in solitary confinement and beaten because of a picket she staged at the White House. The brutal treatment of female suffragists actually helped to strengthen public support for the movement. And in 1918, President Woodrow Wilson announced his own support for women winning the right to vote. The denial of more than half of the United States population to participate in the political process at one time was damning to American democracy. In 1920, that changed, and the 19th Amendment was a revolution in American politics. 1920 is a banner year and a milestone in American democracy for what it accomplished for women and what it represents for those who are marginalized in American society, even today. Well, let's talk about what's in the news. Uh, for all of my new listeners, uh, I always try to address uh, some financial news uh, related to the topic of the night. And it just so happened that, again, if, uh, if you were not able to uh, catch part one, I would encourage you to go to my website at www.shipmentconsulting.com. And I've archived all of my shows there, but in particular, uh, the, the topic tonight is couples and money. I did part one uh, about two weeks ago, and I would encourage you to listen to that part one uh, as you as uh, sometime after you've listened to tonight's show. But uh, every segment, I always try to cover uh, something that's going on in the news related to uh, the topic at hand. Uh, came across this article on USA Today. And the title is How Financially Compatible, excuse me, How Financially Compatible Are You and Your Mate? And it gives like a number of different questions uh, to pretty much in a test form to see how, how you pair up. And I just want to take just five uh, just to kind of go over real quickly. Question number one, uh, do you know your mate's credit score? Now, that's very important. Uh, especially for our couples that are getting ready to walk down the aisle. I think it's very important that you know each other's uh, credit history as well as your credit score. Uh, now, st I guess uh, statistically, roughly 15 million Americans that are in serious relationships admit to committing financial infidelity. And this is according to a 2018 poll from creditcards.com. Now, that means that people are basically keeping secrets from uh, their partner or from their, their spouse or, or from their fiancé. Now, we, you know me. I've always been open when it comes to sharing information with your uh, soon-to-be or with your spouse. So don't let your credit score be a secret uh, from uh, the one that you love. Uh, question number two, is your credit score similar to your partners? Could be. Well, why is that important? Well, according to a research from the Federal Reserve, people with high credit scores are more likely to commit to a relationship. And when they do, 
the relationship is more likely to last. Thought that was very interesting. Question number three. Are you a spender and your spouse a saver or vice versa? No, why does that matter? Well, it's actually quite common for financial opposites to attract. You've heard that term, opposite attract. But those differences don't mean that the relationship is doomed or that you're destined to have constant money battles. But you have to be willing to compromise, meaning uh, if you are a saver and you're soon-to-be or your spouse is a, is a spender or vice versa, you're the saver and they are the spender, you need to kind of create an equal ground and compromise to see what's best for the relationship, not what's just best for you or for your spouse, but what's best for the relationship. Okay, question four, do you and your partner often discuss routine money goals, you know, goals uh, such as budgeting for something or spending or saving for retirement? Now that, why does that matter? Well, Open communication is a strong sign of a healthy relationship. Now, personally, my wife and I, we have a very strong uh, relationship because we often communicate in the area of finances. We talk about how much money that we spent, how much money that uh, that we need for upcoming uh, bills or expenses, and we also talk about our retirement uh, as well. So I would encourage uh, all of you, if you're not discussing these vital money goals, Make sure you do that. And question five, do you and your partner have a financial safe word? Uh, This is pertaining to, you know, to prevent, you know, screaming matches and arguments. Sometimes it's best to uh, have a safe word or phrase uh, to kind of calm down the conversation. from the this particular article, it mentioned uh, you can use a safe word, a safe phrase such as just regroup later to discuss this. And that gives you a, a time to kind of cool down uh, and be able to come back into a conversation when it's more peaceful. So you always want to try to create a good environment when you're discussing pretty much anything, but especially when it comes to finances, when one may you may disagree with your spouse on something or there's a potential argument about how the money is going to be utilized or something like that. So make sure you take that to heart that uh, you don't want things to rise to a certain level as you're talking about uh, money. Uh, Right now we're going to take a quick break and we're going to go right into part two of couples and money. Listening to the Lionel Shipman Shape Your Finances show with host Lionel Shipman on the CWR Network. It only takes a minute to find out if you may have prediabetes, and you can do it at doihaveprediabetes.org. But you're probably not going to, are you? Kids, work, listening to the radio, you're busy, which is great because busy people can't get prediabetes. Oh my, I read that wrong. <laughs> 
they can. Should have worn my glasses. So visit doihaveprediabetes.org and take a short test because prediabetes can be reversed. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Welcome back to the Lionel Shipman Shape Your Finances show with your host, Lionel Shipman, on the CWR Network. Well, uh, two weeks ago, uh, I started, uh, I did a segment called Couples and Money, and I addressed the importance of you know, being able to communicate with your spouse or your soon-to-be spouse regarding finances. So uh, I just want to kind of give a recap of part one um, and then go right into tonight's segment, uh, part two. Now, last, uh, well, two weeks ago, uh, I stated that there are roughly three, uh, uh, I guess, issues that couples, um, uh, I guess, I believe that a lot of issues, I, I would say, a lot of issues that couples have around money is due to three uh, particular things. Uh, I stated that the lack of communication was one, the lack of honesty and trust, and the third one, a reluctance to change. Now, when you look at communication, communication allows both people, both parties to express themselves. And I think it's very important that you have a ground or an opportunity to express yourself regarding finances in a relationship. And remember that communication is a two-way street. Uh, Honesty, uh, whether you know how to manage money or not, I think that we should be honest and upfront with our uh, uh, luck to our spouse or to our soon-to-be spouse uh, because it creates a playing field of what I call trust. So it kind of goes in hand being honest and being open and upfront and making an opportunity to to, uh, make the relationship more trustworthy uh, regarding our finances. And I kind of mentioned that, you know, oftentimes I tell my girls, I've told them for years rather, that don't give me a reason not to trust you. So we should never give a reason, uh, give an opportunity where our spouses or our love, uh, the, the person that we are with, don't give a reason uh, that they should not trust us, especially when it uh, involves money. And lastly, change. Change is something that a lot of time, a, a lot of us uh, don't want to do. And I'm the kind that once information goes out and you've gotten a clear understanding Uh, of money, how to manage it, regardless of how you feel or how you desire not to change, we must change for the good of the relationship. We have to change the way we think, and sometimes we have to change the way that we manage money. So that was a quick recap of part one. So tonight I want to address the aspect of why people manage money the way they do, you know, Pretty much, where did you get your money management skills from? Well, I, from working with different people over the many years, uh, last 20 years in finance and in banking, I've identified three areas uh, where we have gotten our money skills or money knowledge from. Number one, uh, it would be our parents or guardians, the people that raised us. 
Now, take just a quick second or two. Reflect back on how your parents handled and managed money. Did they just make money and spend money? Uh, Did they use credit a lot? You know, did they have a lot of credit cards, you know, in making purchases? You know, way back in the day, some people didn't do that. Uh, Did they save money? Uh, Do you recall them paying bills rather slowly? You know, were were your lights turned off frequently? Uh, Or did you guys uh, have to move often? Uh, Did your parents live life carelessly with money? You know, buying almost everything they wanted uh, without even regarding if they can afford it or not. So these are just some of the questions that came to mind when I reflect back uh, or look at how people uh, got their money skills or operate with their money, even as adults. Now, parents and guardians, those that who raised us, that now they had a great influence upon our lives. I mean, I know my parents did when it comes to finances. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned on a previous show that, one particular principle that I got from my father was uh, the saying of don't live a champagne life on a beer budget. I didn't quite get it when he told me that, but as the years went by, I understand it fully. Another principle that they taught me was don't spend uh, more than what you can afford. Don't spend all your money up on things you know, that are trivial. Make sure that you have some money. Uh, uh, for bills and and things like that, because you you don't want to put yourself in a bad financial situation. So those are just two principles that I learned along the way. Now, you may have heard people say sometimes that that we are a product of our environment, meaning that all of our actions, our behaviors, you know, uh, we picked it up from somewhere, meaning from the environment that we were raised in. Well, a lot of times, we have picked up the same way when it comes to financial or either to money management. We mimic our parents or our guardians uh, when it comes to money management. Uh, parents who have used uh, excessive number of credit cards, you know, uh, it, it kind of shows up in their, in their children's use of excessive credit cards. You know, I think back when I was a kid, I remember my dad having a gas card, and when I became, you know, when I got to college and got my first credit cards, uh, I got a gas card, and I didn't realize this until years later that, wow, I did the exact same thing that my dad uh, did when it came to getting a gas card. Now, this is not a, uh, a hit on our parents by far. I believe that most parents... Uh, do the best that they can in raising their children, and especially uh, regarding money. Uh, You know, I look at my parents, they did the best job they could to raise us and make us responsible when it comes to uh, finances and things like that. And, you know, I was exposed because I got in banking uh, to start my career, so I learned how uh, to be a little bit more financial savvy and had a better financial understanding than my parents did. So don't think that this is a session where I'm hitting off on our parents or our guardians when it comes to operating money. I'm only giving you some things that I, ha- I believe uh, where we have 
formed our money management habits or the way that we operate our finances, where it all stemmed from. So please don't take that out of context that I'm bashing anyone's parents and especially mine. (laughs) Okay. Uh, The second area, oftentimes those that are closest to us, you know, those that are within our inner circle, you know, they influenced us in some form or fashion with our attitudes and our behavior toward money and with spending. You know, whenever faced with a financial decision, big or small, many people mimic those within their association, whether it's good or bad. It it just it happens. I uh, use, for example, back in 2008, when the economic crisis happened, there were many investment bankers and other financial uh, service professionals that helped, you know, with the downfall of businesses, you know, with the end runs and the world come of the world uh, and with the economic and the mortgage crisis, all that that went on, you know, some knew uh, that their high level executives and managers were cooking the books, you know, making false transactions uh, while lining their pockets uh, with uh, criminally, uh, they did it, and some of them risked their own licenses, they risked their careers, they risked their reputation in the community, they risked their families, their friends, and sometimes even their health in order to get more money. And they did it because everybody else around them were doing it. So as I reflect back on my life, I mean, many of my friends and coworkers pretty much shared the same type of attitude when it involved money. You know, they basically, or we basically spent money as we earned it. No one uh, talked about, you know, the importance of saving money for a rainy day or for saving up money for, for uh, our children or potentially family uh, in, in, in the future. No one ever told me about that. No one told me about the dangers of, of credit card use and, uh, they didn't share with me how I should invest my money to get a, a good rate of return. We were all in the same basket. So we shared, you know, uh, you know, we talked about our hopes and our dreams about making money and buying things and living the life. But no one told us how to operate money and to how to operate it effectively. And like, again, again, I'm so thankful that I uh, got into banking and that changed my life not only from a career standpoint, but from a personal standpoint. And it really opened up my eyes to sound financial management. Okay, let's jump to number three. Uh, Society at large uh, has been an influence upon people. You know, we have heard the names of Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos and Warren Buffett. Uh, These are the three uh, I call them financial titans of the world, especially in terms of of wealth. I mean, you're talking about people with 50 billion or more dollars of net worth. You know, there are many people that strive to pattern their lives after people like that, even though they make far less, you know, in income. Then you have some people that try to pattern their lives after the rich and famous. You know, when they, when I say the rich and famous, I'm talking about entertainers and professional athletes. And sometimes these people, some of them, 
they they are not good examples of good money managers, but people try to live just like them. But the sad part is many of those people that are trying to pattern their lives after those that are making extreme amount of money, you're not making that type of money. So you cannot live like them. I mean, we can we you know we have a tendency to idolize the rich and famous, but we end up idolizing them to the point to where to our I guess to our own financial detriment because we're trying to live the life that they are living based upon our income and our income does not match what they are making. You know, I, I even look at, you know, some of the advertisements, you know, either with cars or with clothing, you know, shoes and things like that. They're getting paid by a company to wear uh, uh, those clothes or to wear those shoes. And, you know, sometimes the amount is very high to buy those things and people will use their credit cards. They will borrow money from friends. They will forsake their mortgage payments sometime just so that they can buy these clothes or buy these shoes or whatever that their, their, their famous entertainer or professional athlete uh, are wearing. They want to try to live that same life but you're not making the same type of income. Now, that can have a, a huge bearing upon a, in, a, in a relationship. You know, you're starting out, you know, for my young couples, get on the same page financially. For all of my veteran uh, uh, experienced married couples, uh, get on the same page financially. For my soon-to-be married couples, get on the same page or establish a foundation of how best to to operate your financial uh, the financial aspects of your lives, because uh, you you don't want to get in a position where your finances uh, are causing a divide in your relationship. You've heard some of the statistics that talked about you know 50% or more marriages end up in divorce because of financial issues. Don't let that happen to you. Put things out on the table. Assess where you are. Take the steps to improve your financial outlook. And don't let finances cause a divide in your relationship. Well, I have a lot more information to give, but I am also out of time. So we're going to conclude tonight, and hopefully I will be able to address maybe like a part three of couples and money. But I hope, for sh- I, I hope that you've gained a whole lot when it, uh, on part one as well as tonight's broadcast uh, talking about couples and money. And don't let it divide your relationship. Well, that's a wrap. Uh, we're going to conclude tonight. Uh, thank you so much for tuning into the Lionel Shipman Ship Shape Your Finances show. Uh, My show airs every Tuesday night at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And if you have missed any of my past shows, uh, I have archived all of my shows on my website at www.shipmanconsulting.com. Please connect with me. If you're not connected with me on social media, you can catch me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, I also have a YouTube channel, by the way. A uh, great little tool to kind of uh, gear your, I say if you have uh, teenagers, have some great 
videos uh, for all of our teenagers. I have a success type video series uh, that I think would be advantageous for all of our teenagers uh, to listen to. So again, thank you so much for tuning in tonight. I also want to make mention, if you have not purchased my book, Sacred Vows, The Knot or Not, uh, you can get my book on Amazon or at Barnes & Noble. And if you want an autographed copy, just send me uh, a message through my website. Just go to my website, shipmentconsulting.com, click on the Contact Us page, and send me a message, and we will make a way where you can get an autographed copy of the book. Well, I want you to please remember these words regarding your life and your money. Give cheerfully, spend carefully, and invest wisely. We will see you next week.